0: Hi, you're listening to Art Trend, my silly art history podcast where I take you on the journey across art history. I'm your host Lana, a passionate art lover who knows way too many random absurd facts about art. Every episode we're going into depth discussing a particular artist or a painting or a whole art movement. The idea is that the next time you go into the art gallery, you're going to know a bit more about art pieces there. And maybe it will help you connect with them. For me, it works that way. When I know the story behind the canvas, it keeps me on my toes with fascination, looking for every detail and every brushstroke. Because art is not only about pretty pictures, after all. There is so much more to it. There is certain aesthetic in art. And I'm going to try and show it. Tag along if you want to widen your art history horizons and have some good nerdy time. So... Today's episode is the second part of the two episodes of the quasi-same the topic of the Dutch Golden Age. Uh, the last time we covered the basics of the Dutch Golden Age, I answered the questions when was the Dutch Golden Age, why was it golden, and what controversies surround it. And also we talked a lot about the term of the Golden Age in general. If you didn't listen to it, go listen, it's the fifth one. I believe. To cover all of the art that was produced during the Dutch Golden Age, I'd need days. So I want to talk only about genres and paintings that interest me the most. And these are the Dutch genre scenes and still lifes. They make up a big part of art of this period. Today, I'm gonna answer the questions of what about the dutch genre scenes and more importantly what secrets are concealed in dutch still lifes are they just seemingly innocent bouquets of flowers and rich lay tables or is there something more behind these canvases isn't that intriguing you could say that the dutch genre scenes and genre paintings depict the sunday of life They have the air of stillness and calm, and they're just so very soothing to look at, mostly. However, often they had emblematic or moralizing meaning to them. So unprepared viewer wouldn't even know what exactly they are looking at. And most often they were featuring women in the realm of a Dutch household. The first painting that we're going to look at is by Johannes Vermeer. The Dutch interiors are always neat, almost shiny, quite spacious and richly decorated. They are filled with different clues and symbols that were clear for their contemporaries, but often remain unnoticed by the modern viewers. Girl reading a letter at an open window painted in 1657-1659 by Johannes Vermeer is a classical example of Dutch interior painting. Of course, I couldn't possibly make this episode without mentioning Vermeer. That'd be a crime. He's like one of my favorite artists ever. He's one of the most famous and mysterious artists of this period and mostly created interiors with women occupied with different household tasks. Little tip, one of the ways you can recognize his paintings is that almost always you can see a part of the curtain at the side of the painting as if we are peeking into somebody's private life in this particular painting we indeed see a girl reading a letter at an open window however Vermeer wasn't the only one uh, who used this kind of the trick with the curtain and there is actually a story behind the painting the curtains and i just want to very quickly tell you about it because i think it's very fascinating as everything (laughs) it comes from the ancient greece uh i'm not gonna pronounce these greek names because i have no idea how but still so the story goes like this there was a competition between the two artists um let's say just the artist a and artist b because i to to i i don't know how to pronounce them um artist a painted a bunch of grapes they were so luscious and so lusciously real that birds flew down to peck at the painting and confident at his success the painter a asked the painter b to draw back the curtain covering his work only to realize that the curtain itself was the painting and that the painter B had won the competition. And as the artist A said in acknowledging, def- acknowledging his defeat, to fool your fellow artist is better than to fool the birds. The artist B relied not just on the technique, but on manipulation of expectation to fool the, pain- the painter A so it's actually quite a common topic in not only in dutch paintings but in like a lot of just throughout the art history you would see the painting of the curtains and as much as they can be also like uh, a symbol of peeking into somebody's private life they also they can also be the reference to this ancient myth an ancient story as everything comes from the greek culture and actually quite like this uh story behaves it's like quite a funny one and a witty one Anyway, as I said, we see indeed a girl reading a letter on this painting. Quite an interesting story, by the way, connected to this creation of Vermeer. The thing is that the painting of Cupid that you see behind the girl uh, who is gazing out at the viewer is actually a recent discovery and give the whole other meaning to this masterpiece. For some unknown reason, the wall and the painting on it behind the girl was covered up in the 18th century, nobody knows why. And before the discovery was made, which is, it was made actually quite, quite recently, like a few years ago, it was just a picture of a pretty girl reading a letter with no clue whatsoever what the letter was about. However, with this discovery, it's obvious that the love is in the air, that the god of love is looking at us, cluing at what might be written in it. So fascinating. There's just so much to discover in art, so many secrets concealed in it. Even after centuries and centuries of its creation, we can still find something new, something unusual, something so fascinating. God, I love art. (laughs) So sorry. Now, okay. Let's look at another interior painting, just in a bit of different style. View of interior, or just the slippers, by Samuel van Hoogsraten. Wait. By Samuel van Hoogsraten of 1655-1662. I'm so sorry, I don't know how to pronounce Dutch names, and I didn't research this one. Anyway, it's depicting an interior of a different kind. There are no humans in it. However, the artist left us some clues. The keys in an open door, discarded slippers on the floor, the half-burned candle in the background. Somebody clearly was just here and probably will soon return. All these open doors as we are guests standing in the doorway waiting to be invited in. Or maybe we're actually unwelcome here. Don't you have the eerie feeling of intruding into somebody's personal space? Isn't it magical how just some oil on the canvas, which is hundreds of years old, can make us feel all of these obscure and weird emotions? God, I love it. Now, okay, the very reason why I embarked on this whole journey of telling you about the Dutch Golden Age, its historical context, the symbolism, why I got the idea to make this whole, that this... Two whole episodes in the first place. Prong still living in Dutch or just the still lives. And oh my god, do I have a lot to tell you? You are really in for a treat for this one. I swear to god, the way some flowers and food on canvas makes me excited is not normal. Okay, so. Before the 1650s, still lifes were described in very generic terms like flower piece, little breakfast or "banquet scene. And only in the 17th century Netherlands, during the Dutch Golden Age, did it become its own fully independent genre. It is partially an early form of social and, well, domestic documentation in which the audience is invited to look past the surface and see a deeper meaning of the painting. It is a genre which grew out of a prosperity and an ever-fluctuating trade industry and economy. In the beginning of the centuries, in the centuries, still lifes showed mostly domestic goods depicted with pride, like cheese and butter. It was chiefly dairy products, because as I said, the Netherlands were famous for them. Also very interesting to notice. So, for a while, for a long time... Um, The still lifes were considered like the lowest form, the lowest genre of paintings. And often, more often than not, when we see the female artists, especially of the Dutch Golden Age, uh, they were mostly painting still lifes. And they were absolutely, by the way, skillful in that. The way some, some of them, they depicted flowers so realistically and also like you see the bouquet of flowers and you're like oh my god it was definitely painted from like a real life bouquet but the truth is that actually there was no way that this bouquet could have been collected because just because the flowers in this bouquet bloom at different times of years and that means that she sketched flowers throughout the year and then from these sketches made this whole painting of a bouquet okay I'm just I'm gonna tell about the bouquet of flowers and the' gold literature a bit later today we are talking about just in general still lives but what I'm getting at is that women, uh, were painting still lifes not quite willingly just because they didn't have any other choice because well you know you're a woman you are you know the lower being or whatever just paint still lifes and they weren't um, allowed into the artist schools and the artist guilds for example and one of the main thing that you had to learn and study as an artist that the human um, is the human anatomy and Obviously, you need nudis, nudes from this. And it was very not appropriate for the young ladies to see the nudes, whatever it is, the man nude or the female nude. So a lot of female artists throughout centuries were settling for painting still lives just because they didn't have any access to the proper education. And is um, uh, the Artemisia Gentileschi, the artist that I did an episode on a while ago, um... She, I think she used her. I think she used her own nudes, which is quite a fascinating thing. And the, and again, it makes just so much more fascinating that she reached such kind of success without being allowed a proper education, so to say. Getting distracted again. Okay, so still life with cheese, almonds, and pretzels. Of 1615 by Clara Peters. Thank God, a very easy name to pronounce. Uh, She was one of the most prolific still life artists of this period and absolutely masterful work. We see light reflections in the glass, realistic depiction of cheese, and if you look closer to the knife in the foreground, you can see the signature of the artist herself. But this luxurious assemblage of cheese was result only for the privileged society. For us now, cheese is something common, something we can eat every day. However, for the people back then, it was quite a luxurious product that very few people could afford. So here it's like more of a documentation of the life of the privileged than the rich one, as always. I mean, there are you know, also peasant scenes in uh Dutch golden age. We're not going to talk about them now, but it's interesting how rich always prevailed. Clara Peetles was also the first to incorporate self-portrait into a still life. In her Still Life with Nuts, Candy and Flowers of 1611, which depicts a table richly laid with all kinds of expensive products, on the right side there is a picture and in the reflection of the picture not only can we see a self-portrait of the artist but also the interior of the studio how freaking cool and genius is this like if you look very closely you can see like the reflection of the window absolutely crazy so there are like so many layers to them it's like a still life is self-portrait an interior scene and a moral lesson, and this the infinite layers of symbolism that we're gonna talk about later. Like wow, mind blowing! Now, now, I want to tell you about one of the most fascinating and in in infinitely symbolic concept, the concept of vanitas. Okay, <laughs> okay, I just love it so much. The references to it can be seen in most of these paintings. It's the symbolism I was talking about. First, I'm going to explain what it is and then we're going to look at the examples. So, venetus refers to things that are symbolic of worldliness and the pleasures of life. It's very, very closely connected with memento mori, which we literally translate from Latin as remember that you are going to die. It's a symbolic trope, reminders of death, are all around us, that show how fleeting life can be. It can be read both as a very depressing fact, we are all going to die, and there is nothing we can do about it, but also as an encouragement to live life to its fullest very similar okay not very but kind of similar to nihilism philosophy that says that life is meaningless and you can be either depressed about it or enjoy it while it lasts and maybe even start a silly little political party with your bodies doesn't matter anyway let's look at a few examples first once again clara peters but this time a self-portrait a proper one We see her sitting at the table. Let's look at some examples of symbols of Vanitas now in this painting. In the air, there is a bubble, as fragile as human life itself. It will be gone just in a second. On the table, we see coins, money, an absolute form of vanity of wealth. The creation of the humankind that makes happy ones who have it and suffering ones who don't. In the background, we see fading flowers, which of course again brings us back to how fleeting life is and how fading it is. Abundance of gold and jewelry also can symbolize how easy it is to become distracted by all these things in life. The sheer amount of objects in some of these paintings can become an indicator of human vanity just like this. An overturned goblet on the table, a symbol that can be seen in many of Dutch still lifes is another symbol of death. It can signify that a person that was just there in the painting but now is absent, which could also be a type of dying. And also nobody leaves a goblet like this. Also a commentary on the sin of greed. Vanitas still life by Maria van Oostervik of 1668. If you're lucky enough to live in or visit Vienna sometime, definitely, definitely go to the Kunsthistorisches Museum and see this masterpiece. Gosh. Van Österwijk, studied in Antwerp, never married and actually became well known for her flower paintings with their intricate details and sharp chiaroscuro. We talked about chiaroscuro again in Artemisia Gentileschi episode. Is this dramatic lighting when the lighting, when the background is black? and um, under the foreground is uh lighted light up um and it's kind of a cinematic way like for the modern viewers we can see it as a cinematic lighting. lighting wow anyway both of the skills the chiascuro and the intricate details in the flower paintings we can see in these paintings both of them as well as the human skull which is a moral lesson, a lesson of life's briefness on this passing of everything that is material about this world more wilted flowers which can be considered a more subtle version of a human skull she was actually incredibly skillful in depicting flowers the details are absolutely amazing honestly just go and see it for yourself the dutch loved flowers It was a nice reminder of spring during the long and cold Dutch winters. Because, you know, painted flowers just last longer than the real ones. You cannot argue with that. And of course, every one of them had its own meaning. And yeah, I'm not going to that now. It's a very also interesting thing to say, to to look at what different flowers mean. But not today. Globe. The vanity of the whole world freaking cosette ran out hourglass as the time what we have on this earth is also running out surprisingly books are also a symbol of vanity the brevity and emptiness of knowledge just you know everything just everything is a symbol of vanity some other symbols that can be in other paintings are silent musical instruments as well as scattered playing cards pipes empty goblets all symbolize the end of pleasure. Pilled lemon could represent the quick unraveling of a short life. Half-eaten pies, the sin of gluttony. What isn't Vanitas? That's the point. That's the point of all of these paintings. So, as you can see, there is an infinite amount of symbolism in these paintings you just think that it's all just pretty pictures of flowers and fruits but in reality they are all reminders of death which i think is just very interesting fact of human nature you have to understand also that society back then was still very religious and christianity was still very much affecting everyday life i know that i said in the last episode that it wasn't that prolific and of course in the netherlands it wasn't maybe that strict catholicism as in central europe but it still was a very big part of the human life so it's only natural that it is also reflected in art not that straightforward anymore but still, these paintings were most likely to be displayed in a person's home. And you cannot just, you know, I don't know, hang a crucifixion of Christ in every single home. I mean, you can, and they did, but still the the, the nice painting of some st- of flowers and food is nicer. But I still think it's quite eerie. Very interesting and fascinating, but still quite eerie. And I don't know. It's just interesting how for a, such a long time people were and are and probably will be always fascinated by death that's what i think is very um common thing i mean obvious common thing throughout classical art in general throughout classical music literature paintings visual arts culture and so on no matter how old they are no matter in what centuries uh, century they were created they will be they will always have its meaning and it's actuality in 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 there we people will always come back to them and death is one of those things that is um it's it is with us forever you know it's like love it's always will be common throughout uh, human life (laughs) in general like that people will be always fascinated by death they will be always fascinated by love. That's why these topics uh, prevail in ancient Greek mythology, in Romanticism, in Middle Ages, in in twentieth centuries. Like always, there were always topics. Just a few of them, but they just go throughout human history. We always can see signs of them, and I think it's so interesting. And in that what makes classical art in general so nice and fascinating. And sometimes boring because you know, sometimes reading Shakespeare is like, oh my god, that's so difficult to concentrate on all of that stuff, or like War and Peace, god, I hate War and Peace so much. But still, it's like very actual and very it's too modern age sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Anyway, okay. It was a long, it was a long episode. Phew. That was a lot, wasn't it? But now, you know the historical context behind the dutch golden age it's problematic conditions a few new philosophical concepts maybe and the next time you go into the art gallery with your friends if you do that you will be able to point at random objects on still life paintings and say that they are just reminders of death how fun remember friends we're all going to die so let's let's look at some more paintings and they say that the art is boring huh no, 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 no. It's just depressing. <laughs> Is everything in this life. Okay, really, really hope you like this episode as much as I did. It really was a long journey. Uh, and I put a lot of effort into researching all of those topics. And But it was such a delight to research Vanitas. I swear to God, so interesting. But like, I really hope it was worth it. Definitely a longer and more challenging research process. But I loved it. And hopefully you did too the next time we are going to talk about romanticism which is also very interesting uh very interesting movement uh that also also looked back at the dutch uh, the the golden age the concept of the golden age so for now keep enjoying the art world and go to kunsthistorisches if you have the opportunity until the next time bye